0: So uh, let's begin. Uh, so this will be our uh, newest roundtable for December. We're talking about our November issue. came out last month, issue number 11. And uh, two guests joining uh, myself and Chris Vogt. Uh, First up, Anna Genevieve Wynnum. Would you mind giving us kind of a quick intro? uh, Who are you?
1: (laughs) Uh, So uh, I'm Anna. Um, I'm a writer and a reader. And I think I've always been those things. But in the past uh, couple of years, I've really started to focus on it. And I've been published in a few different places, uh, including Wild Roof Journal. Um, and I now um, am the editor-in-chief of another journal, Passengers Journal. Uh, and I'm here to talk about poetry and art because I love those things.
0: Sounds good. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> issue number five, uh, Wild Roof Journal. You had a poem in that issue going back to that one. Um, so, yeah, thanks for being here. And we have uh, Vianne Borshurt. So what's your uh, your intro?
2: So uh, I'm an artist, visual artist. And I've been doing art for many years, decades. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been doing it ever since I was a child. I'm a Corcoran GW notable alumni. And I'm based in the Washington DC area. Um, I also teach, I've been teaching for over a decade, um, adults, fine art classes in uh, painting and drawing. And I'm a professional artist. Um, I um, exhibit in New York City, and I actually have a, a show, uh, a solo show, starting tomorrow in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. area. It's called Dreamscapes. So you can go to my website, <laughs> which is my name, beyondborcher.com, and see more of my artwork. Uh, so my work is more, um, I define it as visual poetry. Um, and the work is uh, abstracted seascapes and landscapes. So um, my take on nature, but more with my vision, with a more, more like a modern contemporary take uh, with my aesthetics and um, abstraction. So yeah, look it up and um, I love art and I love literature and I feel that they definitely combine together and go very well together mm-hmm. and I'm happy to be here today.
0: And uh, your piece, uh, Ghost Town, I got that right. Ghost Town was in issue nine, so uh, two former contributors. So it's nice to. Uh, it's always good to have people in the uh, in the community in the Wild Roof community circle back around uh, every now and again and join us. Yeah, why don't we uh, get into it? So uh, me and Chris talked just for a minute uh, before we started recording, and the one we mentioned uh, first off was uh Jerica Taylor's Wisteria Witness. Um, So, Anna, that was one of your selections. Uh,
1: Sure. Well, I guess first off, um, the thing that struck me the most was kind of like a a pet uh, interest of mine, which is just this tension between what you can express and what you can't express, what you leave absent by mentioning it, what is present by not mentioning it. Uh, And I think that this piece really did um, an amazing job. Uh, kind of pulling both sides of that tension between uh, characters that were kind of like half present, you know, they were mentioned, but they were never explored. And then this creature that's not a character, but it's still the centre of the piece uh, that gets a couple of half descriptions. Like they're very evocative. The, uh, what's the line? The, The shiny leaf type skin uh, that uh, doesn't really exist, but that's the way that it exists. Uh, I found that whole kind of line super interesting uh, and intriguing for kind of uh, making me want to read more. And then having kind of the story of the the actual plot, the actual events being woven through that just kind of drew me into the world of the piece. Uh, So that's one, one reason why I love that piece.
0: Yeah, that line I got it here. I believe uh, mm. the sky is the glossy shine of its skin appears as leaves caressed by moonlight. Arms yeah. like branches go out and up. Maybe it came every night, hidden under what I cleared away. But yeah, nice. I I like that uh, description of what's what's mentioned and <laughs> what's called. You know, what's called out by uh, by not being mentioned. Mm. Did anybody have a kind of a
3: pretty obvious? feeling associated with the, clearly something's being spotlighted but we're also not getting to see the thing that has the sh- the flashlight beam shine on it mm-hmm.
0: that,
3: that evoke a specific feeling for anybody because i got a little dread i got a little oh, yeah. bit of an Edgar Allan Poe feeling of the thing that's lurking and kind of reaching right. and it's very graspy and viney and i uh, wasn't sure where to go from there
2: yeah. and maybe me want to kind of turn around and watch my back Right. Yeah, I thought um, these are my thoughts. I really liked it too. I th- I think it was um, my favorite piece of literature in the whole issue, and I do think that uh, from just the first introduction lines, it really grabbed me and it wanted me to continue reading it. And I thought the writing was very well, and also the transitioning within the writing was very well too. And I'll tell you my take of how I felt. So I liked the word when she said. Um, when she described the wisteria uh, tree, um, that it's ambitious, ambitiously going for the roof. And then the fact that she got tangled up, tangled themselves around my wrists. Okay. So that was very interesting for me. Arms like branches go up, out and about, <clears throat> which I think interesting use of personification that mm-hmm. the wisteria tree becomes almost a person grabbing her or tangling or trying to tell her something. Hey, come on, get out of here or something like that. Um, And then I like the fact that she said, I study it in several breaths. I thought that was very interesting. Um, And then it's kind of a sad, there's a bit of a sadness and melancholy to the whole piece, which grabbed me also. Uh, The fact that she said that she's monotone of washing dishes and folding laundry. That was kind of an interesting take there. Um, Again, the wisteria tree really is obviously the star here. It being uh, the wisteria begins to bloom more widely and she kind of repeats the word wide, <laughs> widely throughout. And then she goes back to her life suffocating, suffocating. Um, and then when she says she, she kind of like fled in the middle of the night, took a, su- a small suitcase, pulled behind me. So here I think that it seems to me that the wild tree, the wild wisteria tree kind of like inspired her to run away, uh, from her monotone life. And I think overall, um, I like her description of the wisteria tree's freedom and the wild nature of the tree. But also, I thought you were talking about Edgar Allan Poe. There's definitely that morbid or kind of somber feel tone, the tone throughout the story. I personally thought that it's very similar to Virginia Woolf's writing. Mm-hmm. So, um, where, where it's, you know, Virginia Woolf talks about the confined women who want to break free, and um, the woman who, uh, in her story, she calls upon these women for the pursuit of liberty, right? So that's something that I thought is kind of like, I don't know, maybe she's probably very much influenced by Virginia Woolf, and I it reminded me of a story that I read so a long time ago, and I'm not sure if I'm recalling it correctly, but it's about a woman who lived a very much of a timid, a timid woman, huh? So she lived in a very confined, timid kind of lifestyle. Like with her shadow. But her shadow was like almost wild. I kind of didn't like her character. Shadow didn't like the character of the woman. So the shadow eventually eats up the woman. <laughs> and in a way, it's kind You're of a, like of the a yellow form. wallpaper? I I don't know exactly the name of it. I can't remember the name, but I and I may be using too much my imagination because it's <laughs> such a long time like the shadow ate up a woman, like ah, you really need to get out of your skin, almost woman. Uh and I think that's kind of like I feel the message behind this piece where it it really kind of um you have to become a little bit stronger. You have to kind of get out of your skin to have a life. I know this sounds really bad to say, but anyway, that's how I feel about this piece. That this this wisteria tree that is full of beauty and just growing and blossoming. And I'm telling this timid woman, you know, maybe you should do more than washing dishes, pruning, landscaping, making sure everything looks manicured and pedicured and beautiful. Maybe you should do more wild things. Maybe you should just go out, (laughs) you know, go on a trip. And I think that's kind of like maybe nature's trying to tell us something here. You know, that's that kind of, that kind of thing. And I do think that in nature, if we look very carefully, we will find a lot of wonderful solutions maybe in in our life that we perhaps uh imprison ourselves within, you know? So I do think that um yeah, so one can really find cool. a lot of analogy a lot of analogy within this piece, a lot of um similarities but perhaps to older literature. Um but I think that the, the message here is pretty clear, um, kind of like the idea of breakout. <laughs> so that's not what I felt.
0: I didn't know if you had a, if Anna or maybe Chris, you had to take on the ending or the last couple of sentences, because that's what drew me in. Um, when you get kind of, for me, that kind of gave me the, the best insight, may, maybe. I don't know if mm-hmm. that's accurate or not, but it gave me an insight into the speaker. And the last sentence is this time. I am the one who wishes to be unseen. My flight unacknowledged. It does me the same kindness of pretending we never passed in the night. So I, that was kind of just a curious thing. It made kind of drew me into that character, the speaker, to want it, wanting to withdraw. Yeah. And is you know is that a good? Is that a positive? I guess <laughs> right. desire, or is that a negative? I guess we can. Yeah. Um, Take on that. But so you know, Anna, did you have a little bit
1: of a little bit of a little i, uh, I of there was a lot of tension basically at every point throughout the piece and one thing of was thinking about in the central metaphor of like cutting back the wisteria being the thing that uh, you know of it to blossom and a and then also the wisteria is still a domesticated plant in a little bit of a little bit of it's little bit of a little bit of a little bit you know kind of stuck and then it's really the interaction that she has with this creature that has is kind of full of ambiguity um and it was almost like a violation for both her and the creature when she saw it and so they they you know they did this this pretending not to have seen but then it's in the piece it's been written about so we all know about it which is it feels you know like a second violation and so I think those last lines really bring that tension to the fore because how can you pretend that you haven't seen that it hasn't seen you that this kind of recognition hasn't happened when you're now (laughs) telling this whole this whole audience about it um so I think there's something um, like tricksterish about this
2: uh, yeah. I, voice. yeah, it could be. I, I, I that's wonderful uh, analysis of it. And I could be like, is she jealous? Of, is she jealous from the mm-hmm. tree? Looks like she is. You know, <laughs> the way she was describing this tree, personifying the tree. Too.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I do think. I mean, it's interesting because there's so much there. <laughs> yeah. And a literature. lot of psychology there. Let's just put it this way. Um, so there's a lot of psychoanalysis in this piece as well. Uh, not only just like literature analysis. So I do think there's a lot of layers, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of layers, a lot of deep layers that seem to be. Uh, so, yeah, but it's very effective.
4: Yeah,
3: when I first did the, uh, my first run through, I had that initial kind of felt like a setup for kind of a traditional horror story. And of course, if you crossbreed Edgar Allan Poe with sort of the, the feminine fire, uh, the feminine mystique, you get Charlotte Perkins Gilman.
4: <laughs> and the Yellow Wallpaper
3: is all about this uh, idea of the, the tendrils coming out of the wallpaper that is the thing that is simultaneously her mirror and her shadow. Um, so if you add Virginia Woolf into the mix, you get a whole genre, this whole <laughs> genre of the you know feminine trapped in a self-contained uh, situation where nature might be the wild force that helps kind of pull someone out of a situation like that.
0: I like the idea of creating yeah creating that genre I think
4: that's
0: a I wouldn't have never like put that <laughs> <I> wouldn't <laughs> never quite put that together like that so that's a, another illustration why we do these conversations because yeah that intersection is pretty cool. I got my own little reveal if you uh, if you're interested yeah. Um, yeah, Jerica was kind enough to um, send me uh, her explanation, her behind right. the scenes hmm. of writing this piece. So I could share that with you. That would be Before cool. you tell us, please she <laughs> reveal what the thing is, the, the creature. Because
4: <laughs> the science it. fiction yeah. nerd was, I want to know
3: what it is. Is it a snake? Maybe it's a Garden of Eden thing going on. Right. Um, but then, of yeah. course, you yeah. shouldn't know what it is if it's a reflection. Um, so, yeah. yeah.
0: I guess we'll save, right? If, if you want to keep the mis- the mystery, like fast forward about uh, a minute and a half. So, so this is uh, Jerica's words. Uh, Some talented gardener planted wisteria along the side of my house before I moved there, and it was years before I understood what it was or how it, I was meant to care for. As the wisteria grew, it was supposed to be trained and twisted along the posts and a small fence. In my good-natured negligence, the wisteria grew on its own path, twisting up the railings of the deck, up the crabapple tree branches, in and around itself, in wide loops. I now fight a losing battle against trimming it back every season, and I feel as though it has a mind of its own, and a cunning, determined one at that. (laughs) Mm. It's a little bit of a trickster quality, maybe. (laughs)
4: Um,
0: But oh, the flowers are gorgeous. They're delicate waterfalls of purple, the bees and hummingbirds love them, and they're worth the seasonal overgrowth battle. Uh, she goes on, uh, I started this piece after a weekend of pruning when I'd cut back enough to actually change the way the light came through the part of the yard. I've learned to be ruthless with the weeds and cutting back invasives, but it's more difficult to trim plants I like, even if I know it's both necessary and beneficial. There's that that kind of tension, right? You you don't want to, I kind of felt that at times too, you don't want to cut too much of the thing that you want more of. Um, She continues, uh, it was that strange sort of guilt that came with me when I sat down to write a worry that I'd taken something from the yard, from the wisteria that I didn't understand and might even be beyond my comprehension. It was easy to imagine the Wisteria, a creature or home of a creature, uh, one who possibly was going about their life as I was. I love imagery when the speculative sits right in the middle of the ordinary, like a neighbor. That was the image that pulled the piece together for me. Two neighbors minding their own business. So we don't get too much of a spoiler, but kind of of an imaginary creature just to kind of say (laughs) there's something in there. Kind of doing what I'm doing on this side, doing that thing on that side.
2: As I, as yeah. I think that, as I, I always say, blame it on the gardener.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I kind of uh, professionally, I feel
3: duty bound to read uh, directly from the bio and mention that uh, Jerrica is a non-binary, neurodivergent, queer cook, herder, and chicken herder, and I'm. Retrospectively thinking of all the feminine I was imposing, and that description that you just gave makes me step out of that a little bit, uh, to what extent possible and realize there's a lot, uh, of potential that I might miss if I deliberately look at the author's gender and then start making assumptions. And, uh, that's good. That's a a good little wake up. It's a good little, oh, okay. I see I was superimposing a whole bunch of data. On Jericho's uh, piece, because immediately I was thinking uh, either squelched daughter or imprisoned housewife, and that's that's uh, good. Good to kind of
0: just wake up and like, oh,
3: I was looking down the wrong way.
0: <laughs> I mean, just not to go back to the tension too many times, but yeah, that's the kind of the tension of you know the the thing you're trying to control um, versus the thing doing what it's going to do. Um, so yeah, the wisteria kind of functions as this piece of nature encroaching on you know this domestic life, this yard, this house, the fence, which of course, it is part of that domestic life, but it's also has you know its own not quite its own mind, but it's has its own you know behavior.
3: And it must be said i'm I'm an incurable uh, authorial uh reader i can't help it i, I know the, the author is dead and i shouldn't be um but i can't help but uh you know look at an author or any hints the author wants to give you or you might find out about the author's life and revisit the piece yeah and uh i think in this case it was kind of a nice little perspective jump for me little uh uh little electric jolt
0: yeah well in in our world the author's not dead they're on, they're, they're, on on they're, on, they're on instagram like Emailed uh, yesterday. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's part of our process. We kind of go through uh, when possible. Yeah, we do like to bring the author in to have their say so we don't get too far afield. uh, And when we get carried away, uh, as it happens sometimes (laughs) with their own interpretation, so uh, get grounded a little bit. So, yeah, that's a great piece. We'll stare you witness. Very good piece. We'll keep the foliage. Theme going and we'll, uh, we'll shift to the Bonnie Matthews Brock's uh, red leaves picture that was our cover image for issue 11 in November so if you've seen the issue you would have seen that image uh, so yeah why did uh, why did you select that one
2: I actually did make a print out of it I don't know if you guys can see it yeah. that's helpful right uh like this okay yep. so um look at it this really looks pretty good right? <laughs> it's a very nice image. Um, no wonder you picked it for the cover image. I, I mean, it's very, very. I really, it really spoke to me, and I think it's very well done, and it has uh, also a lot of beauty to it as well. Um, what I like about it is, in a way, uh, it's a photograph. Okay, I'm a, I'm a painter. I'm a, uh, but I do appreciate all forms of art, and, um, and I've taken photography, so I know. A lot of things that the photographers go through um but with this one what i felt what i liked about it so it's rather than let's say having a regular photograph just like a snapshot of of something that you see from life basically photography is like freezing something that you see in life and putting in an image you know finger you know so it's technology too right photography um with this one i feel i felt that the photographer went a little bit beyond just like a regular photo Mm-hmm. And kind of wanted to make it look a little bit more. It veers more towards uh, fine art or more a visual artistry to it. Uh, so I think that's why I picked it. I, I felt that it went beyond uh, the obvious regular photo or just a you no. Know, well, you know, well done photo, and it kind of uh, gave you this uh, feel of mistiness, mysteriousness, but also very limited color palette, which makes it more effective. By the way, in this in this case. Um, so the feeling that I got out of it is like as if let's say you're wake, waking up from a nap and you're looking outside of the window and there's some, some trees and maybe your eyes are still kind of blurry from the nap and you're looking out and things look blurry so that's what I liked about it it's like that kind of look of your inside looking outside so I thought that perspective the angle perspective is very good so in a way by by the photographer doing that I don't know if she took it I'm thinking she was inside looking outside. And I think usually that that perspective is very interesting for me um, in general, even in art when you're like uh, Matisse, for example. Matisse did a lot of paintings where he's inside of his apartment, looking outside to the French Riviera, painting what he saw. So, but it's always nice to select the inside outside kind of perspective and look. Um, What I also liked about it, again, kind of goes back to that, how we see it, it looks like this mistiness, this blariness looks like also you can be looking from behind the curtain, like a white stash curtain. OK, so you, things are not really clear. And I think that adds more to the beauty of the mysteriousness and the beauty and the simplicity uh, of this piece and making it very soft, very soft and visually pleasing to look at. Uh, the limited color palette, the fact that it's a tree, again, going back to trees. <laughs> so. Um, and a beautiful tree that you can, you know, the color is really nice too. It has some, it embodies a little bit of more of the autumn kind of like uh, reddish tones. Um, so kind of uh, falls nicely within fall. Yeah, I, overall, I think it's very well done. So I, I can see where uh, it visually, it grabbed you when you said, okay, I think this is really should be on the cover. Um, so yeah, um, I really like it. It just gives a very nice feel. Um, and one can, again, use their imagination as well. Um, that it's behind something or again maybe it's underwater or maybe it's behind a window that's been rained on a lot that's a good possibility as well so things are losing um crispness and clearness, uh clarity um so it's more like you see fuzziness or you see more of a blare uh, and usually that's a beautiful look also for photography I've noticed um a lot of photographers do try to capture things behind let's say like within the rain or behind uh, windows that are full of rain. So you'll end up with a very crystallized kind of look. Um, So technique-wise is very good. Um, And overall, I think it's just a very effective uh, work of art.
3: Thanks. Thanks. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Aaron, but I think you and I can both relate to the subjective feeling of looking through a window with a pane of glass with rain coming down just in reference to the refractory quality. And also, if you imagine that scene in a movie, you're know, you kind of combining what it literally looks like. And of course, any time a scene like that happens in a movie where somebody's staring through a pane of glass with rain coming down, there's this combination of sadness, but also complexity, and uh, the obscuring of reality. So I I love that idea that uh, that could be one very literal thing that also has this refractory
0: quality um it works yeah. psychologically as well as uh, visually yeah and i love that it. it didn't occur to me eric believe it or not being inside looking out with this image didn't occur to me so oh you know, that's it makes perfect sense and i really love the, the curtain idea or kind of a veil almost mm-hmm. like it, it is kind of a you know when you get that uh, little bit of distortion blurring and it it, it was just such a for me, just such a familiar image, um, in the sense that uh, I've, I've made these types of images. Like, this is kind of what it's just such like a part of like what I what I'm interested in. What I, it's almost like too close, you know, for me to even like even maybe talk about too much um, because it's just such a natural fit for like what I'm interested in. So, like having said that, I'm kind of have um, a High degree of bias with this piece. I'm just in, in favor of it from the kind of just everything you said. Just you know, um, the, the the kind of distorted view of a familiar, you know, thank mm-hmm. tree uh, losing its leaves, um, but it's done such kind of a, just a that twisted kind of way that it's just immediately for me just peeling and turns out comes around uh, for our November issue, right? So it wouldn't quite. <laughs> It probably would be the best cover for June, July, um, but for you know, as we kind of hit on the, the seasonal themes, uh, as we do, that's what I, that's what tends to happen, oddly enough. So yeah, love that. Anna, any other thoughts? We kind of we did a did a bunch already. Do you have anything?
1: Yeah, I have mentioned one little thing. Um, which is that I think a little bit of what you were saying is it's like the the familiar in an unfamiliar uh, telling. Uh, And I think what was really powerful for me was not to hop on the tension, but the the contrasts in the different sections where there are some areas where it's kind of like clear to see and then other areas where it's obscured and it kind of um, alternates. And I think as your eye goes across You're almost like forced to shift perspective a few different times, even though what you're seeing is something that you know, you're not quite sure how to understand it. Uh, And that kind of like unsettling viewing experience of something familiar is fun and a little bit creepy uh, in an autumnal kind of way
0: i I, uh, I did contact Bonnie. She was kind enough to respond in, in short notice. Um, so it was uh, not quite an inside looking out in a literal sense, um, but an odd, kind of an odd an odd connection. She said she shot this photo uh, at the entrance to a trail to the Stone Fort Boulders field in Saudi, Daisy, Tennessee, near Chattanooga. So a little bit of an inside or, you know, looking mm-hmm. in an entrance approaching the trail. She said, I love visiting boulder fields and love uh, photographing in nature um, and the boulder boulderers and climbers too. Uh, she has another image in this uh, in this issue. Um, that one was shot actually at Yosemite Park. Uh, but she said in both cases, in both of her images that appear in the issue, uh, some time alone while my husband was rock climbing. Often I want to return a second and sometimes even a third time to a place I've photographed. Uh, this time on my own gives me the opportunity to re-photograph something I wish to had shot somehow differently or under different conditions uh, and or to include more or less contrast, I'm sorry, more or less context within the image. And when I'm on my own, I can take as long as I want to take as many shots of the same thing as I want without impacting the experience of any, of anyone else. <laughs> Which uh, yeah, if anybody's uh, been maybe hiking with a camera, you can uh, maybe have that experience when the, the other person doesn't have a camera or anything else to do other than keep on walking. So yeah, so that was kind of that that sense of revisiting a place um, and then the experimentation is there too, kind of testing this this way, that way. And uh, she doesn't mention kind of overlaying multiple images um, to get this finished piece. On, guessing that it appears that's something that's going on also but um, that's not from Bonnie's words. That's just kind of my impression. It just kind of appears that way. I don't know if it's actually multiple images or just as the appearance of that but yeah I think that's a nice summary of that one so thanks. We want to move to Christine Weaver, her poem Witch Dance and back to Anna. That was one of your selections.
4: So
1: there are a lot of things that I like about this poem. But one of them is that when it started, I didn't really know where it was going. And there were several points throughout the poem where I kind of thought that I had a grasp on where it was going. I guess there was maybe like three quarters of the way through, I was like, oh, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm right about, <laughs> about where this is going. Uh, and then got to have the fun experience of almost like watching it play out, uh, and and being what i thought it would be um almost the way that once you learn a song like you know how to dance to it like you know what's coming next you can anticipate it and that's that's the kind of enjoyable uh thing about it is that you feel like you know it i think that this piece also had you know once again the pet interest of mine the the tension between uh what's expressible and what's ineffable um where the poem is getting at this thing that perhaps we all share, but we know it. We don't know it. It's latent. It's not latent. I did that same kind of push and pull uh, throughout the whole poem, even though I think in the end it kind of lands on one conclusion, which is almost like, you know, when when you dance, that's when you're feeling or being uh, this life force, energy, eternal you know, same thing that we've all had throughout the universe. Um, but it was it was cool throughout the poem to kind of feel like that's the conclusion we were uh, etching towards.
3: Let me just ask, of any of us here, have you ever participated in a drum circle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so
4: the,
3: the reason I thought of that is that's the kind of thing you said, ineffable uh, versus you the kind of fever dream you want to tell somebody about after you're <laughs> out of it, and it's impossible once you've, you know, potentially done something on a hallucinogenic scale. And so I, I was, I was late, I was a late comer to that kind of experience. I was very suspicious of anything. Well, that's the music of the spheres, and it's a celestial dance, and uh, <laughs> part of your DNA and genetic legacy is participating in this dance that we're all in together. And, you know, I kind of was very poo poo about that. And then I, I have to say that I was in a drum circle and the circumstances were such that yeah, I kind of lost myself, was pulled directly out of any individual experience. And so the poem was interesting because initially I kind of had that sense of familiarity, maybe even a little nostalgia in some of the imagery. I said, Well, okay, here comes an interesting environmental poem. That was my yeah. first thought. Ah, this this looks good. And then as I kind of felt drawn into the waltz of the way the language set up, but also the actual uh, description of this kind of anthropological look at dancing and we're sitting around the bonfire together and we're participating in some really long-term, I was gonna say human experience, but that's also a bias, let's say natural or conscious or existence experience. And uh, I kind of, gradually started zooming out more and more, and the poem got better and better uh, the more I zoomed out. So I, I really did appreciate that, and I got some of that imagery that you were describing very nicely. Uh, so I, I think it worked on that level for sure.
2: Um, so this is my analysis of the poem. Um, I really like the poem, and as uh, Chris was saying, the more you zoom out or you more the more you look at it, the more you appreciate this poem, and you see so much in this poem as well. And also as Anna was saying, there's like this almost um the pull and push uh, and that, uh, that you also attracted you to the other piece. Mm-hmm. And it has a bit of that eeriness to it as well. So it's not all like joyful. It has a bit of that, uh, what's going on here, you know? Um So the first thing about the poem that I thought was very, very interesting is the title, which dance, question mark, okay? And we'll get back to that later, because I was like, as I I was reading it, I kind of went back to it. I'm like, I'm trying to think that is this um, poet trying to tell us something between the lines more than what meets the eye. So I think with both of these, actually, interestingly, I know you picked both because there's much more than what meets the eye. There's a lot of hidden. I feel like there's a lot of hidden layers. This one as well. Um, So. What I liked about it is it, 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 overall, I felt that it's a very convivial um, survival, kind of an upbeat tone to the whole thing, but there's definitely a very ceremonial, mm. almost tribal kind of community take on this uh, poem. Um, the the lines that I uh, liked uh, were, we stray outside of memory. I thought that was a really nice line. And then she's, she asked, um, what is that keeps us moving? So she's kind of like making us ponder, what's going on here? What Let's look at this big picture here. What is keeping us moving as human beings? And then she basically says, and I think this is, I don't know, I'm thinking this is like a current uh, poem, like a um, a return to when earth carried us not as crouge, not as disease, not as weighed, unmet, need, grasping, starving. I thought these are the best lines of the poem, but as delight. So I kind of like her up upbeat take on like okay fine we live in a pandemic in a diseased world uh but let's kind of delight let's have a little bit of delight um so kind of reclaiming the delight uh, and uh, over mankind and I had the power of being delightful um so that's I thought it was a bit of a celebration of mankind and then she said we're hunter-gatherers across continents singing sacred lines very interesting um, and then she said again, very interesting dance, shaking bodies, alive feet. And then she, within the like the singing, she says step, clap, pray for survival. So I thought that the dance song, number one, I like the fact that there's music to it, mm-hmm. but also a sense of movement. Now we feel a little bit, we feel people dancing almost in a tribal way. They're clapping, they're happy, they're communal. So. The dance song kind of embodied a sense of movement, of celebration, of people coming together and celebrating. So I felt that this is kind of like a ritual dance. Like in the past, they would do dance together to avert diseases, evils. So a lot of dance happened in the past to also kind of take you know, bad spirits and evil spirits away from us. We dance in a communal way. I thought in general, it's a very, very good poem. Now it goes back to kind of a circle back to the title. which dance. Which kind of makes me think about two things: witch dance, the dances of witches, or wish, like wishing upon a star kind of dance. I
3: was going to say I'm going to, I'm going to start talking because I don't, uh, I don't want this to sound like a point because I don't know where I'm going to land with it necessarily. <laughs> but in terms of thinking the two kinds of dance, I'm used to associating uh, dancing generally with something that's very positive, so it's celebratory. It can be, it can have this. Uh, Tribal element of those can be kind of religious, like the whirling dervishes and things like that. So I almost always assume dance by itself is good. So giving me the choice of which dance. And it seems like the simple version of the choice is uh, the natural dance where we're connected with nature and the earth is happy to have us as a copacetic, um, happy relationship versus the exploitive dance where we're maybe more like in a zombie state um, the, the key line that, that maybe sent me in this direction had to do with lines pulsing freeways, the idea of thinking of cars on a freeway as maybe uh, veins in a bloodstream and that, that just kind of happens by itself but in autopilot that kind of dance that is only habitual is only nostalgic but only in the most superficial way that's kind of non-reflexive, uh, that's the kind of dance that can lead you to using up all the resources or being the uh the drunk guy who wants to hear the same song at the bar and he just plays the same journey song again he's kind of stuck in that one dance and he's unable to break out of it so i wondered if which dance was kind of getting at there's this uh potential for celebration and renewal and rebirth but there's also this idea of getting trapped in a cycle when If there isn't a better definition for addiction than getting trapped in the same familiar yet comforting dance. I don't know what a better definition could be for that. So maybe part of the question is which of those two uh, things you want to get kind of caught up in.
2: And I think that's the thing that the fact that it is a question rather than just telling us just a title like it could be the dance. No, it's giving us more of a question mark is in a way an act by itself of engaging the reader and I think the way she was also writing it sounds like she's also a celebratory of communal and engaging people to be together so I like the fact that she also engages the reader by that kind of like asking that question and again what is that that keeps us moving question mark so she's again trying to trigger hmm we're thinking out oh, yeah that's you know reasons to survive and to be on this earth and you know to be together and that kind of thing but it's it's really is effective it's very very good i like it very much i think it's definitely beautiful
0: right yeah. and it is yeah it is something to be said to have that kind of movement element i mean as far as uh you know physical movement kinesthetic movement in a in a written piece that's yeah uh, pretty unique um i i do have I'll say this, our contributors have really come through for us, um, and there's even more to come after this, Um, but believe it or not, Christine was able to send me uh, (laughs) a little bit of a behind the scenes, so uh, thank you to our contributors who responded (laughs) to me in short notice, Uh, but she just, uh, she made the comment um, that this piece was, um, written in response to a prompt. Prompt was, if you made a prayer for a place or creature, what would it be? And what she chose was polar bear, which is kind of the, the initial image. And kind of, as, as we mentioned, kind of kind of starts maybe with kind of an expected kind of environmental image and then kind of zooms out and zooms back in time mm. from there. Um, so that her starting point is polar bear. And it's kind of with the imagery of you know Arctic sea melting, um, polar bears being unmoored, their futures threatened. Christine continues, humans haven't always had to live in these spaces and lifeways of gut-wrenching contradictions, harm, and separation. Uh, we have not always had to apologize to Mother Nature while moving through our days between birth and death. As we are now in what some call the great unraveling, we can let go of what doesn't serve us or the beings we share this planet with. Um, she says, as an editor in an anthropology um, publication, I've uh, carried with me stories about healing and sustainable life ways of contemporary hunter-gatherers. You know, it kind of comments comments on, um, this, is how, this is who we all were. Um, mm-hmm. We all used to be hunter-gatherers. Uh, prior to around 12,000 years ago that's kind of uh, hardwired into who we are and that's uh, I'm sympathetic to that viewpoint because I think about that (laughs) a lot myself so it's kind of drawn into this piece with uh, with that take Um, so she mentions a couple in particular and an author a writer who I hadn't thought of in a while but I was familiar with uh, who she mentions is Wade Davis being an inspiration anthropologist Wade Davis good reminder to me like oh look up uh, look up Wade Davis again because he's a pretty fascinating guy. Um, and she did send a couple of links in addition for actual dances of these hunter-gatherers from different tribes in Southern Africa. And then comments at the very end. All hands are on deck. Uh, we need this now from each of us. Which dance? Bringing forth our medicine or continue on a path of devastation, harm, extinction? So it is that kind of question that ends with a question mark. And even in her uh, in her explanation and, and uh, behind the scenes summary, uh, she uh, has that question embedded in there as well. So clearly there's kind of that those options available to us as an individual, as a species, probably more importantly. So, yeah, I think that's uh, a little bit of insight. And uh, I think it kind of followed the reading of the poem to kind of uh, give us that perspective of individual to a larger you know, community, larger embodiment of the planet, I guess, ultimately.
2: The message is pretty good. It's coming together to better our community, maybe fighting a cure or just like praying for better things, also, um, and having positive energy, too. I think that all contributes, right? In the betterment. I, think, I
1: don't know. I think there's a little, uh, well, as always, uh, tension in the middle of that, though, because. She also, you know, she says she ends on uh, our rattles, our own, which is a little, um, you know, I've got my rattle, you've got yours. Um, And that line earlier about, uh, but as delight, as bones that danced close in, well, I think you can't help but associate bones with death, which is the opposite of survival. So I think even in this... uh, like celebratory, even in a circle, right? Like a circle is it? a closed system. Someone's outside the circle, like you can't get into a circle. Um, so I think there's a, even in the survival, there's there's loss and exclusion. Uh, and it's, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. You know, it's, it's I think, still hard. Um, and it's almost like in the witch dance question, like, okay, well, who's gonna be included in this dance? Who knows the dance? I, yeah, I think it, I, don't, I guess that's, I have a slightly different interpretation.
0: But no, I think that's, that's important to, to kind of keep that balance there, because, yeah, it is in the poem, and I think it is in the author's mindset. Yeah, there is that element of the other side, right? Yeah. It, like, I mean, I out. do
1: think there's that coming together pull, but then there's also
4: a question of, like, who? How?
3: This is probably me. Yeah.
4: I'm sure this is me projecting,
3: but the I like I like that point because the idea part of the sadness is as a human individual you want memory because you want to stay alive and be alive. But uh, what's the, what's the line uh, we stray into a precision of memory, and maybe the memory the precision of memory is the clinging to a certain kind of life or clinging to life generally, and yeah, you know, the part of the more somber half of the poem is that you may have to make some choices about what you want to preserve and kind of where that dance takes you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as an individual who wants to live, I'm like, yes, uh, dance, fat comes from excellent. But there also might be this notion that there's these larger um, yeah, spheres right. in which we have to kind of put our own egos aside. <laughs>
2: right. I think you're right. I mean, I think that's one of the lines that I like, we stray outside of memory. So it could be a question of like, are we going to repeat history? Are we going to keep on doing the same mistakes over and over again? You know, it's like there is definitely that. Like, hey, I'm giving you a bunch of questions here. It's like almost quizzing us. Do you know what to, you know what the right thing to do? But yeah, definitely, it has a death connotations or ideas in it within it. Um, and I don't know if she wants to tell us, hey, there is good and evil. What do you what you choose? What do you choose? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you lean more towards? Yeah. Uh, so it seems like, yeah, definitely, it seems like there's a little bit of like quizzing happening here. Yeah. Um, well, it, uh, it just occurred <laughs> to me,
0: too, that, like, I mean, on the personal level, you know, you don't want to be the branch of Osteria, like it's pruned off. You know, you don't want to be that branch. <laughs> um, but yeah. it has to happen, you know, for the better, you know, for the, the survival of the, the larger whole. I think this is a good place to. Wrap up our summary of the issue 11. We had three great pieces, as it turns out Um, Jerrica Taylor, Wisteria Witness, uh, Bonnie Matthews Brock, Red Leaves, Christine Weaver, Witch Dance. So I'll say thank you to Anna. Thank you to Vian, Thanks, Chris, once again. And Mm -hmm. uh, we'll stick around for a moment, so don't leave us yet, (laughs) but we'll uh, we'll pause here. And uh, again, thanks for joining us. Great time, great conversation. Thanks for your thoughts. I'll talk to you again later.